podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. G'day everyone, welcome to this edition of Cricket Daily. I'm Paul Dennett, I'm joined by Robin Chipperfield. England versus New Zealand is the main topic of conversation as England have hit back, New Zealand still well on top as we head into day three, a fascinating test match at Lords. We're also going to talk about the resumption planned of the Pakistan Super League, a few key points from the current round of county championship matches, and when you win the toss, should you really bat? The age-old wisdom's being questioned, got a few interesting points on that as well, but Robin, as a proud Englishman, you must have been happy that it England hit back to begin with yesterday. Yeah, I thought it was another really good day of, of Test cricket, and I think we're seeing quite a bit of that around the world at the minute. Um, but England, yeah, got themselves into a decent position by the end of the day. But I think after two days, we're in a position where both sides will be pretty happy with where they are. Uh, New Zealand all out for 378, but collapsed in a little bit of a heap, uh, particularly in the morning session. Devon Conway out for a magnificent 200 on debut. Uh, but New Zealand at one stage were 288 for three, and in the end, all out for 378. And even that was a bit better than it, it could have been with a last wicket stand of 40. As I mentioned, fantastic innings from Conway on debut. Of the bowlers, Mark Wood, perhaps the most threatening, three for 81, and Ollie Robinson, four for 75. When it came to bat, England made a bit of a mess of it early on with Sibley out for no score and Crawley for two but they recovered to 111 for two at the close. So they still trail by 267, uh, but a fascinating couple of three days lies ahead, I think. Yeah, it certainly does. It was, it was a big moment, I think, because as you said, they got from 246 overnight to 288. They were looking pretty comfortable, Conway and Nichols, and then it was that bouncer from Mark Wood. Uh, Nichols didn't quite control the hook shot, was caught down at, at fine leg by Robinson, and then the collapse came, and and also, as you said, uh, looked like New Zealand would get a lot less than they would. And then Neil Wagner batted um, <laughs> like a left-handed Don Bradman for number 11, playing a <laughs> succession of glorious strokes for 28, 25, not out, from 21. And, uh, yeah, Devon Conway brings his 200 up with a six, albeit off a, a bit of a top edge, but magnificent achievement from him, and then pr- promptly got run out by about uh, one frame, I think. is probably probably the right decision, but a brave decision from the third umpire, I think, as well. Yeah, I tell you what was interesting as well. I noticed in the in the test match at Lords, they seem to have brought the boundaries in, uh, maybe 10, 15 yards, and I, I can't quite work out why. Because Lords, they generally they're generally right out on the edge of the the boundary, but particularly kind of the media centre end, they seem to be right in off the off the boundary rope and um, or where the boundary rope would normally be, and that. That might have helped Conway, particularly going to 200. I won't begrudge him that by any stretch of the imagination. But it was an interesting thing. It just seemed that the boundaries at Lords are normally all the way out to the picket fence, but they seem to be in a fair bit this this test match. 
I, I felt the exact same thing, especially at that sort of fine lang region where yeah. it wasn't just in five meters. It looked like it was in 20, 25 meters, an mm. extraordinary amount. And I can imagine the old timers complaining with the big bats and that, that that top edge six that would have otherwise been comfortably caught at fine leg. But yeah, I, I'm, I would, I'm with you. I can't begrudge him. A few stats for Devin Conway scoring 200 on debut. It's the seventh highest innings on debut in the history of Test cricket. The second highest ever for New Zealand. The highest ever of all time is from Tip Foster from 287 from the SCG in 1903-04. It also is the second double century we've seen on debut in the last um, four months. Kyle Mayers from the West Indies did it in February. The first 144 years of Test cricket, we saw it only five times. We've now seen it in rapid succession. And last one for the train spotters, it knocks off Curtis Patterson as the best batting average in the history of Test cricket. If you have no innings qualification, his top of 144 is now exceeded as Conway sitting there proud on 200. I can't claim any credit, Paul, Paul for this, but what what is the claim to fame of Tip Foster, who, as you mentioned, is at the top of that list for his innings at the SCG in, what, 1903, was it? What is the one thing that Tip Foster has to his CV that nobody else in that list does? Um, oh, I, I think I know this, but I can't remember. It, that was the highest score ever at the time. Yes, not just that. Uh, I think I know it, but I need, I need 10 minutes to think and I haven't got it. <laughs> <laughs> he is the only man to captain England at both cricket and football or soccer, as it's you know, perhaps a bit more around the world. So he's the only man to do that. Uh, I can't claim any credit for that. Mike Atherton mentioned it on the on the TV stream yesterday. But uh, quite, an, quite an accolade for him. Definitely fantastic. Um, I think I did know that, but yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't deliver when the pressure was on. Uh, but uh, <laughs> Devin Conway, if, if you haven't heard much about him, he's had an amazing journey that I was just reading that August 2017, he sort of said to his partner uh, on the golf course in South Africa, my career's not working out. I'm 26. I'm going nowhere. Why don't we move to New Zealand? Expecting her, I think, to say no. And she said, let's do it. Went to New Zealand. And from having a sort of a, a stuttering first-class career, he had great success. 200 on debut. Fantastic. Um, from here, the pitch, do you think it's starting to turn a bit of uneven bounce? Are we going to see a result? I think we will see a result just because there were still three days left. And as we may came, come on to later, you don't tend to get many draws in in test cricket question of whether the pitch stays intact enough. I think it will still be good on day three for batting. So if England could get, well, let's say there'd be 100 ahead at the close on a good day, if England had a good day, they would be in the position to to take control of the match, I think, and put New Zealand under pressure, albeit a very good batting lineup, but put that under pressure in New Zealand's second innings. Having said that, if, if England are bowled out for 100 or so less than... New Zealand, so they lose their last eight wickets for 160 or so, which is not beyond the realms of possibility. New Zealand with a lead of 100, another couple of hundred on top of that would put England under severe pressure on day five. Certainly would. So it's going to be very interesting tonight. Rory Burns and Joe Root are going to resume. Burns on 59, Root on 42, and England with eight wickets in hand, trailing by 267. This is the second year that the BBC Two are going to be showing uh, week nightly highlights of the Test match, one hour each night. That's the first time the BBC have kind of shown any international cricket since 1999. Uh, will this have an impact uh, in England? Will it re- restore cricket to some level of public acclaim? I think it will as a package, I would say, rather than just the highlights of, of Test matches because the BBC will show 100 matches uh, later in the English summer, whether you like the 100 or not, <laughs> it will be a kind of show-busy type cricket match that will play out at good times for families to watch. 
Uh, and also some international T20 cricket will be on as well. So I think it's trying to get cricket to a generation that has not watched it and isn't at the moment that interested in it or might be a little interested in it but wouldn't fork out for a pay TV subscription to watch it necessarily. So um, I think there's that. And also, I think which we should never underestimate these days is um, is social media as well and the, the ability to put out highlights, clips, little quirky things on social media where if, if you talk to anybody under the age of 30, they seem to say that that's where a lot of people watch their sport now on their phone, on their tablet device or whatever. So I think as a package, I think it is it, it cannot be a bad thing for cricket that millions of people rather than hundreds of thousands of people will be watching cricket. Switching tack, the Pakistan Super League is going to be restarted in the UAE. The plan is for it to start on the 7th of June and go through to the 24th. Uh, there's a few logistical issues they're working out with the UAE government, but that's all things being well. 16 group games to go plus the four finals. Uh, it's very tight at the top when the when the competition ended. Karachi, Peshawar, Islamabad and Lahore are all on six points, although Islamabad and Lahore have a game in hand. So the pa- Pakistan Cricket Board and the ECB have agreed for Pakistan to arrive in England a couple of days later for their upcoming tour in July of um, white ball cricket in England, but the actual tour schedule will be unchanged. So hopefully the Pakistan Super League will be able to progress. Uh, looking to county cricket now, uh, Marcus Harris has scored the third century of the county season. Um, 148 he made for Leicestershire, taking them to five for 357 against Gloucestershire. He'd have to be a chance, I think, now of uh, forcing his... Oh, he's technically the Australian test incumbent. He might still be in the position when the Ashes come round. Yeah, and he's done well, actually, because of all the Australians going over to play in English conditions, uh, I thought he might be the one that, that struggled. Obviously, had a bit of experience on the last Ashes tour uh, in England before being dropped. But I thought against the moving ball, he, he might struggle. So um, a huge amount of credit to him for, for finding a way to get runs because this is um, this is not unusual for him to get runs um, for Leicestershire this season. Marcus Harris, he's certainly, certainly done well. The one that surprised me is Peter Hanscom, actually. I thought, having seen how he finished the Australian summer with Victoria... I thought he looked in fantastic form and I thought he would get runs in England because he plays the ball late uh, under his, his eye line, really under his nose and with soft hands. I thought he might be the one to flourish in, in English conditions. And while he has picked up of late, he's improved from a very poor start. Um, the surprise for me is that Hanscom hasn't got runs, but fair play to, to Marcus Harris, who's certainly finding a way at the moment. And speaking of picking up since a poor start, Manus Labashain's starting uh, for Glamorgan was was abysmal. 11, 12, 10, 0, 11, and naught not out. Uh, he scored 44 overnight, which doesn't sound all that much, but 19 wickets fell on the day. Lancashire made 173, Glamorgan 9 for 150 in reply. So as an Aussie fan, good to see that Marcus uh, that Manus Labashain has got some form, but very disappointing about Sean Abbott. Yes, he's um, coming back to Australia uh, because of a hamstring injury he suffered while playing for Surrey. Um, so it's obviously a bad one because it's going to keep him out for for some time. Um, a lot of sympathy for Sean Abbott. I think he's a terrific cricketer and one of those, you know, if you're a county side or a shield side, one of those eight out of ten players every day turns up, will get runs or will take wickets. Uh, the sort of player that, that every side needs. So a big loss, I think, for Surrey. Um, but potentially a big loss uh, for Sean Abbott as well. 
Yeah, and as you said, uh, he scored 40 in his first game and took four, two for five as well. So he's doing it with both bat and ball. It's very disappointing for him. Now, Nathan Lehman, who's the data analyst for the England cricket side, was interviewed today um, or, or, or last night. It was a really fascinating clinical sort of uh, explanation of how data has really changed the game. And what, what did you take out of that interview? I, I th- it sounds really dry. And when the interview started, I thought, oh, I'll give this five minutes and then I'm going to go and make myself a cup of tea, <laughs> uh, being an Englishman. Um, but it just completely got hold of me as a, as a, as a cricket watcher of how it challenges your perceptions about the way you've always thought about cricket and it is quite nerdy but if you've got the chance to listen to it um it's on the sky cricket podcast i would thoroughly recommend it um nathan lehman has written a book which is kind of why he was doing the interviews to start with but the sort of things that you have always accepted as the norm as convention around the world in test cricket are being challenged by the stats. Um, and there are all sorts of things, like, for example, Nasser Hussain, famous around the world for winning the toss in Brisbane <laughs> and deciding to do the wrong thing. Actually, the stats said that, that his best chance of winning that test match was to do what he did. And he's been pilloried for it. And, you know, he, he seems to take it in good heart all the time. But that was actually the best way of England winning the test match. They had a very low chance of winning that test match anyway. But the best way was to do what he did. Exactly. That's that's the point they made, that the Australian side was a champion side. England first test in Brisbane were going to lose. But it was kind of like a 5% chance of winning if they bowled first and a 3% chance if they batted first. But it's yeah. probably cold comfort other, for, for NASA. <laughs> other things as well. Um, so if you won the toss in Pakistan, you're playing in Pakistan at Lahore and you win the toss. I think I'm right in saying off the top of my head that the suggestion was that if you win the toss and bat, or if you bat first in Lahore, whether you win the toss or not, if you bat first in Lahore, you've got an 8% chance of winning the test match, which seems tiny. Exactly. And the other thing that I found uh, quite interesting was they're saying that uh, left-handed opening batsmen are so successful against fast bowling because if the ball pitches outside leg stump, you can't get given out LBW. That happens all the time to left-handers, but it was never revealed until DRS came in and improved the standard of umpiring uh, and, and only now has that actual advantage been um, manifested. And so that's why uh, in Australia in recent time, about 80% of opening batsmen have, have been left-handers because the, the game is moving in the direction that the stats are leading. So absolutely fascinating stuff. Perfect for, for a cricket nerd. Also perfect for, for a cricket nerd. We've got three more days of the England versus New Zealand test match at Lords. Tune in tonight and enjoy it. I'm Paul Dennett. I've been with Robin Chipperfield. And we'll be back with another edition of Cricket Daily on Monday. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.